Okay, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining. Um, um, if anybody would like to dedicate this class, it's available for dedication, I guess, post-class. Let me know. We'll add the name afterwards to the share posted on YouTube, on the website, and um, in Facebook, and wherever else it's on the podcasts. So uh, let me know if there's a Yardside birthday, something to celebrate. Thank you so much. Okay, I've been uh, out of sight for about two weeks. Um, I actually recorded something very special today, but it's only going to be come up tomorrow, uh, a new series of stories, personal stories, that I'm very excited to share, just giving you a heads up. Um, there'll be probably about 26 to 30 episodes of that, so look out for that. Stories that I had uh, merited to see miracles and incredible um, guidance from the Lubavitcher Rebbe on a personal level, and I wanted to, and other tzaddikim as well, um, on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, in a very, on a, on a, in a very special way, so I'd like to share that with you. That should be up, as soon as we get the graphics up. And meanwhile, I'm happy to be back and to share, hopefully, some insightful ideas and thoughts. So this week is exciting because we're heading into the month of Ador, and um, this is the year in which we are all expecting a flip. It's the it's the flipping year. What do we mean by that? Um, I we discussed a lot the what seems to be a prophetic um, statement by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the year 1991, and when he's discussing. Um, his capital to Hillim that he was saying that year, which was pay tess, you know, everybody says it's a minug, not everybody does it, but it's a minug, it's attributed to the Baal Shem Tov, that you should say your capital of Tehillim associated with your year. That time the Rebbe was 88, going on, 90, uh, going on 89, so the capital that he was saying was 89. And uh, in one of the footnotes, in uh, Parshas Vayigash, 57-51, he makes note that Peites is in the same series, in the same uh, group of chapters which begin with uh, 81. So Pei Aleph, through Tzadik, it's 10 chapters, and at certain times he says that you can divide Tehillim in, the Tehillim can be divided into segments and um, segments of 10. And that's when you will divide Tehillim into, into a group of 15, um, 15 group, you know, um, 15 chapters. Sorry, not 15 chapters. It's 10 chapters in each se um, segment, but you'll have 15 groups because there's 150 chapters in Tehillim and Psalms. In that sense, then Pei Aleph is, and Pei Tes come out in the same group. And the Rebbe says, you know, sometimes people group Tehillim that way in 10 chapters, 10 chapters, 10 chapters. 
And in that footnote, there's something, you know, I keep on noticing new things. So in that footnote, he mentions also that why would that be? I mean, you know, we know Tehillim is divided by days in a month. So then it has 30 segments. It's also divided by days of the week. So it has seven segments. Um, you can also, there's also five books of Tehillim. You can divide it that way as well. Um, and corresponding to the five books of the Torah. Why would you divide Tehillim into groups of, fif of uh, 15? What, what's the significance? So he says perhaps it's connected to the Shir Hamalois. There are 15 Shir Hamalois that uh, David HaMelech sings, and they were sung by the Levites, by the Levium, on the steps, staircase leading up to the temple, on, especially on Simchas Beis HaShoeva, on Sukkot, at the great festivities. The Levites would stand there with the musical instruments, and they would uh, play the Shir Hamalois. It doesn't give much more explanation other than maybe it's that it corresponds to that. Um, now, so well, what's so special about the 15 Shir Hamalois versus the rest of Tehillim? Seems like they are special. Could be that's like the Tehillim of Tehillim. We know that Yaakov Avinu also, when he said Tehillim, it says all the long nights that Yaakov was working in Lovin's with Lovan's flocks, it says, what did he do? One of the, one of the things the Medrash says, that Yaakov was saying the 15 Shir Hamalois in Tehillim. So we see that this is like the, 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 um, the most uh, precious, if you can say, part of Tehillim is the 15 Shir Hamalois. It's interesting, it, uh, I'm talking about it tonight, I wasn't even planning to talk about it, and it started to come out of my mouth. Tonight is actually the 27th day of the month, and tomorrow's Tehillim for the 27th day is the 15 Shiramalis. You see how everything, uh, everything clicks. So it's interesting that I, I just mentioned that. But the, my intention in mentioning it is because I find it really interesting that in, at that, when, when the Rebbe mentions that, he says, in that sense, Pei Aleph and Pei Tess is in one, in one series. And he starts talking all about the number Pei Aleph, which is 81, which he says spells the word Af, which Af means wrath, and uh, which is a negative element, anger and wrath in the world. But he says the whole idea of that wrath is that it should be flipped over and turned into plois, it should be turned into wonders. Uh, the great miracles, plois arenu, the wonders we will see. Again, this was said, uh, what is it, 30 years ago. And he, and he compares it to, to, to the year uh, 1991, which was Nun Aleph. And over there he says, we will see wonders. He does a comparison between Pelois and So as I mentioned many times, it's not right to say that the Rebbe said that this year is a year of Pelois that he said it explicitly. No, he didn't. He doesn't talk about the year. He talks about um, the Perek Pe'alev, but to, I'm saying if you want to be accurate, true. But on the other hand, he compares it to the year Neflois Arenu, which is a year. And then he's talking about Pe'alev. If the Rebbe didn't say it, we Hasidim have said it and made the connection. And it's a year that we need wonders. Um, there is a lot of concern, a lot of worry, a lot of frustration with this Corona and the COVID and a lot of other stuff and more than anything else, that we're still wallowing in exile. 
Um, so we're hoping for the great miracle and the great transformation and the great flip of the year. So what I find interesting is that in that one of the extra remazim, if you needed a remez more, that, it's, that the Rebbe was kind of referring and hinting to a year that's going to start off in the negative, and then suddenly it's going to flip open. Now, by the way, as I mentioned in many classes, the same concept and the same idea is taught by the Chassam Seifer 200 years ago also, and he explicitly, again, almost explicitly, again, is talking about the year as well, where he says that Tavshin Pei is harsh, 5780 is, is or 780, the number 780 is harsh. Tavshin Pei Aleph spells Ashpois, which Ashpois means the dumpster, which is really bad, but the Ashpois Yorim Evyoin, from the lowest point, the Jewish people will be lifted up, and he says, Va'oz Yarim, I'm not exactly the word, but Va'oz, and then Yarim, it will be elevated, and the Jewish people will be lifted up, it will be, uh, in other words, the great Yeshua will come. His words is Mashmah that Mashiach is going to come that year. It's very, very powerful words. So it's very consistent with the Rebbe. Both of them are talking about a dark time flipping over. Um, so what I, what, I, what, what I think is interesting is, since the Rebbe is, the whole reason he's bringing it up is because he says Pei Aleph is connected to his capital Tehillim that's in Pei Tes, because he, he finds in Pei Tes also the word Af. It's mentioned Af a few times in the capital Pei Tes that he was saying. So he's connecting it to Pei Aleph, which Pei Aleph is also Af, but the Af turns over to Ploi Sirena, because that's the whole content of that uh, talk that he's giving over there is about flipping darkness to light and the end of exile. That's the content. That in Yidin were in Mitzrayim during that time, was a very, very difficult time, but the darkness was flipped over in the days of Yosef that uh, it was good for the Jewish people. Yosef was the leader and he was, uh, it was a time of great prosperity and great wealth. So even the darkness could be transformed to light, even while we're still in exile. That's the, I, the theme of that talk. But what I find interesting is that he's connecting it to Shir Hamales. So why is that exciting? Because this very year of Ploi Renu, in about a month and a half from now, a little over, you know, a little, yeah, little over, about a month and two and three weeks, is going to celebrate, maybe a month and two weeks, we'll be celebrating Yud Aleph Nisan, which is the Rebbe's birthday. And that's when the Rebbe, all Hasidim in the world that say the, the capital of the, of, the, of the Rebbe will say Shir Hamalis. So the Shir Hamalis is hinted to over there as, as being part of this. I know it's a little bit of far, a far, a little bit of a stretch, but it's still, it, it's, it's meaningful, at least it's meaningful to me. So, um, and that's, and that capital, Kufchaf, of Shir Hamalois, is going to be very significant to something I'd like to share at the end of the class today. It's what you'll see, we, a whole bunch of things all coming together, and all the arrows are pointing one way. They're pointing that good days are coming. So when it comes to the month of Ador, and the month of Adar is, the whole energy of Adar is the flipping over from darkness to light. First, there was a decree, and it was a decree, one that was unparalleled in Jewish history, that all the Jewish people would be exterminated and annihilated in one day. This was the Holocaust of Holocausts that was going to happen. And the great thing was that it never even, it, it was only a threat, it was, a, it was a horrific scare, and the scare lasted for almost a year, but in the end, the whole thing turned over. And it turned over for good when? In the month of Adar. And, and I'm just, it's just occurring to me, the COVID situation is also here for about a year. 
And now we're coming in the month of Adar and we want the COVID and the Corona to turn into the coronation of Mashiach and the coronation of God in the world. So what better time and in which a year, which as we were told, has wrath and anger in it, and we were told that this time is going to flip over to ploy sarenu, to wonders we will see, the wonders of the Giyula. Ato, keil oisei pela, you God that does, does wonders, the ploys, the wonders of the, of the redemption, so there is no better time for this to happen than in the month of Adar. Um, so that's exciting. Very exciting. So in in the in the spirit of this, that this Adar is a very hopeful Adar, and hopefully from the month of Adar, which represents the first um, jolt or the first infusion of redemption, we move to the second month, which is the month of Nisan, which is uh, again the uh, the 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 Giyula and Benisa Nigalu Benisa Nasidin Ligoil. So we have really, really a lot to be looking forward and hopefully get ourselves ready, do whatever we can, whatever we can, we can participate in making Mashiach a reality, making it happen. More Torah, more mitzvahs, more good deeds, more joy, and more hope, more than anything else. Hope and prayer. So together we can finally, you know, break the exile and reveal the Giyula. And if that's the case, that the Giyula is really coming now, it's something to really be make us in a good mood, make us really happy because uh, there has never been a moment like the moment of Bia Samashiach. So if we're fortunate, fortunate love enough to be alive, it is something that we should be really excited about. So to help focus us in, um, we've um, discussed many elements of this year being a special year. And um, one of the great things that uh, I've been talking about again and again and again was the concept, and it came up already last, it started, I, I got this inspiration uh, last month in Tishrei, I mentioned it then, and uh, because someone who came to my shul, it wasn't my, my idea, it was a good fellow by the name of, Yo of Yassel, Yosef, who came here, was here a couple of days, and uh, then he disappeared. My father said he met him just last week and he was talking to him. He had no idea that Yosef knows me and Yosef had no idea that my father is my father. And they were talking and whatever and then it came out and he got really excited and he told my father, tell Rabbi Wolf, tell him, tell your son <laughs> that, I'm, that you met Yosef from 3333. So I attributed this chiddush, this excitement, this idea to, to Yosef. Wherever you are, if you're listening, you should be blessed because a lot of good and a lot of inspiration is coming from your thought. And I believe it's very, very true. And as I mentioned last week, I even found a source, again in the Lubavitcher Rebbe Sichus, about the significance of the year of 3-3, which I'm going to share later. I mentioned it already earlier, I think last week, or I mean the last time I spoke. Uh, but we're going to elaborate on that and see the, the chiddush of this year over what the Rebbe was talking about. But in any case, what's excited about the year being, what do we mean 333? Is that when we, we went out of Egypt, we went out of Egypt and we went out of Mitzrayim was in the year 2448. And now it's the year 5781. And, the div, and that's the amount of time that was from when we went out of Egypt 
until this year, which is on Pesach, is going to be the anniversary, it's going to be 3,333 years. Now, we can get excited about any number. Why should we get excited about the number three? So I discussed a lot about that in earlier classes, whoever's been following the Shiurim. But today we're going to have a, an in-depth look into this, and I think uh, a lot more will come out, and, and especially in regards to, to, in addition to it being, you know, the, the idea of 333 is relating to Pesach and Shavuos, because that's the 3333 count from when we went out in the year 2448. Purim happened later. But really the threes are going to show up on Purim as well, and the significance of number three regarding to Purim. So in which we see this year in a really, really awesome way, we're seeing the number three reappear already, not just regarding Pesach, but also regarding Purim. So what is this all based on? It's all based on, um, and, the, and, 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 and this whole concept that we're going to be talking about is very much relevant to the flip, to the idea that there is a darkness and the darkness needs to be flipped. And that's, and that's the energy of the time of the month of Adar. Why? The, the, um, the darkness of the time that we're living is as mentioned earlier, it's related to the word af. There is anger, there is wrath. And as I pointed out also in the earlier classes, that we find that there is an angry, an angry world out there. People are very angry. You never had situations like this that people are getting tossed off planes on, you know, they don't want to wear a mask, this, that. People look at you with angry eyes, you know, whether you're, you, you believe in this or you don't believe people and politically. And there is such a powerful sense of division, sadly, amongst people, and, this, and which is leading to a lot of anger and a lot of wrath. So if that's consistent with what the Rebbe spoke about in Pei Aleph, saying that it's in a time of Af, you see it's, 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 you can literally see it. I don't remember such an angry time. But as mentioned in a class that I gave after Sukkot, um, the Af, the wrath, is associated with the fact that this world is detached from God. And the Pasuk, it says, um, the Pasuk that says, it's a Pasuk in Isaiah and Ashaya Shaya. It says, for my honor, Barasiv, I created it. Yitzartiv, I formed it. Afasisiv, I also made it. Or I also completed it. So Hashem is talking about the evolving worlds. That Hashem first created a creation, which is a very sublime level of existence called the world of creation. Then he takes that subtle, sublime, created realm and, and uh, develops it a little more into a world, into more of a stiff, stiffer type of an existence. And that's the idea of I formed it. And then Hashem didn't stop over there, but he also completed it as a physical universe. So when the, it says af, I also completed it, the af is, which is a word that introduces this world, tells us what the condition of this world is all about. This is a world that can bring anger to God. This is a world that can, that can have a lot, of, a lot of anger and a lot of wrath. As we know, we look at history, we see that the world has not been doing too well throughout, uh, throughout its uh, long uh, history. I mean, 
that's, of course, when I say not doing too well, that's, God forbid, that's as long as we're still seeing the darkness. The moment we see how well we did, as a result of all the goodness that we've done, despite the darkness and despite the anger and despite the concealment, then we will see how magnificently beautiful it is. But until that time, uh, our attention is primarily taken by the things that are not good, that makes up the news. That's why it's so uh, not so good these days, not just these days, to look at the news or read the news. Because in so much of it, is there people are showing are being what's being displayed is not the finest of humanity, in which you know most people in the world are doing good things. Most people want to be good, and most people are doing good things, but they don't get the attention. Ten percent of of humanity gets the attention. Those are the people that are criminals, people doing pro problems, people doing bad stuff, and they're constantly being spoken of. But all the good acts. All the acts of kindness, of selflessness, done by billions of people across the world every day. People extending each other to help other people out. Whether taking the moment to give someone directions or, 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 or charity or, 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 or all kinds of assistance. I mean, the enormous... I mean, God loves this world for a reason. There is such potential for good and there is so much goodness. It's sad that we don't notice it because the, the negative is always shoved in front of our eyes. But the fact that there could be anything negative in this world, and we also know that the world is improving, so the truth is the world, a long time ago, not so many people were doing so many nice things. As we're getting closer to Mashiach and goodness is permeating the world, more and more and more people are becoming more good and kinder and gentler and more sensitive. And we're seeing that all across the world. It's an absolute must that we notice that. And that's the biggest compliment we can give to God. That he made, a, he made a, a creation that works. And he gave a program that works. If all we see is the bad and talk about the bad and, and, and notice the, the evil, then that's, uh, that's giving Hashem a very bad name that he, didn't, uh, he wasn't too successful with his creation. And it's false because it's simply not true. If we would actually take a look and, and, and follow the human race, and, and we would see it's developing in an unbelievable way. And that most people today want to do good. Okay, people make mistakes, but in general there is a huge um, 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 thrust of goodness in this world. However, not putting that aside, and we shouldn't put that aside, but for a moment just, the fact that there is still stuff that are not that good, and there is still disease and illness and, and other difficult, dark things that are here in this world, in addition to the, to the sometimes not such good behavior of humans, um, all of that is associated with af. And what does af mean? Af means anger, but the anger is a derivative of a world that is disconnected from God. And the disconnect is associated with the word af, because af means I also made it. So what does it mean I also made it? What, is, what does God have to say that? Barasiv yitzartiv asisiv. I created it, I formed it, I made it. Or I completed it. Why the af? And the answer is because when Hashem completed the world and He created the last, the last level of the world, which is the physical creation, He interrupted the flow. The flow, the divine flow that was flowing into the universe to create it, to sustain it, which means God's engagement and God's involvement 
was blocked. And then after it was blocked, which means creates a disconnect, Hashem breaks through the disconnect and, and continues to create. But the mere fact that, he, that, that there is an interruption makes that this world should be less connected to him. And, and again, that obviously was part of the design because without that, there would be no purpose to creation because if we would all be connected fully, then we would be naturally good and naturally holy. And if we would be naturally good and naturally holy, there would be no significance to the goodness that we do because it would just be pre-programmed. The fact that we can choose to do good is because, is because we're separated, because we feel ourselves as separate entities. We have a, a, a disconnect, and we don't feel so dependent. We feel a certain autonomousness, a certain independence, and that's why we can make choices. We can choose good or bad. So, but what's the purpose? The purpose is that we should reconnect the world. We, we should um, eliminate the af. We have a world that is created through the af. And as I discussed in that class, when you take a look at the letter hey, you see that the letter hey, as it says, God created the world with the letter hey. And with the letter hey, has three, three lines to it. A top line, a side line, a right line, and a, a left leg. So it says that these three stages of creation, the three worlds created, I formed, and I made, are related to the three letters, the three lines on the hay. The upper line is the, is the energy of divine thought, which creates the world of creation. The second line on the right side is correspondent to divine speech, which is responsible for the world of formation. And finally, God's actions, which is the physical world, it's considered Hashem's actions, um, that is symbolized in the left side of the hay, where there is that the leg. But if you take a look at the leg, the leg is amputated. It's kind of still hovering. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, within the framework of the hay, within the space of the hay, but it is dangling. It's not connected. And that's because of that af. So, so the space that's on top, that's the af. That's the disconnect. And because of this disconnect, people can ignore God and even perpetrate evil. And that's what brings anger and wrath. So if that's the case, and we're talking now about vinahapahu, which is the conversion of the anger to, to, uh, to plois, to plois arena, we will see wonders. What does that mean? the elimination of the af, which means bridging the gap between the leg of the hay and unifying it. In other words, connecting the disconnected world and attaching it to Hashem. And the attachment to Hashem and going from detachment to the deepest intimacy. That's the idea. Because when Hashem disconnected or detached this lowest state of existence to be disconnected, the intention was that once he's reunited, it's not just going back to what it was or to the other levels of creation, but it's going much deeper. Hashem's um, presence in this world is going is gonna, is, is gonna to surpass and greatly surpass God's presence in the spiritual world because they were never disconnected. So they never gave God the thrill and the pleasure of, of, of bonding with him because they were naturally connected. 
The bonding comes dafka from our world where we have choices and we're separated. And maybe the inclination, the, 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 the natural inclination for, of the human being as discussed in Bereshis is not to be so, so God-fearing and God-conscious. Uh, and, and and when we overcome that, that gives Hashem such immense pleasure that it invites God Himself into this world. And that's the meaning of Pla'is. As we discussed many times, Pele is the level of God, which is not an attribute of Hashem. It's not a projection of Hashem. Pele is an indication or a reference to Hashem's very self himself, very self. And that level is called Pela because it's inconceivable and incomprehensible. Pela means a wonder, what the mind can't behold. So here's you see the connection. Dafka the disconnect, Dafka the af, which means precisely the af, the disconnect, is the segue, is the, is the opportunity, is, the, uh, is what, what can pivot this world from its, from its lowest state to being beyond and higher than, than every level that exists. So we can see how the conversion can happen. So again, the remedy and the fixing of the world is through it creating the attachment. How do we attach the world to God? That's what the Torah is all about. The Torah is the, 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 the bridge that facilitates and brings God into the world, unifies the two. And that's why Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, is called the marriage. Marriage is taking two people and forging them and making them one entity. So when Hashem gave us the Torah, God basically enabled us to attach ourselves, our physical existence, our physical lives, to be fully connected to Him. And actually it's connected very much to this week's parsha because we, we have to give the parsha also a little attention. I wasn't planning to talk about the parsha. But if you think about Parshas Mishpatim, the whole idea of Parshas Mishpatim is God entering into our, our details of our life in, 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 in an incredible way. God, the source, Hashem becomes, he's, 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 he's directing and governing all aspects of, of our interpersonal relationships, our, so, our, our business affairs, and so on and so forth. Uh, more than Parshas Yisro. Parshas Yisro is what is revelation, you know, anochi, you know, spiritual uh, a revelation of God in, in a very heavenly way. Yes, the Ten Commandments talk about a lot of down-to-earth things, but it's overwhelmingly the, the blissful revelation of Hashem. Parshas Mishpatim is with down to the, into the uh, nitty-gritty of being a Jew. All the laws and so on and so forth. That means Hashem is entering into every facet of our life. That's the idea of the Torah, to bridge heaven and earth, to bridge God with the world. And that is why it is so exciting that this year is the year 3333. Why? Because the number of the Torah, what Torah symbolizes in serving as this bridge and this unifier between the heaven and earth is all associated with number three. Why is that? So let's step back a minute and take a look at what the Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, Daf Peches, page 88. So the Gemara over there says that um, a, a certain fellow from the, from the Galil, this Galilite fellow, a man from the Galilee, um, gave a drasha. 
This Gililoi gave a, a, a expounded, gave a, a gave a talk in front of Rabbi Chista. And what did he say? He said, we have to thank God. The Yavlon, he gave us Orient Lisa, he gave us a triple Torah. to a triple people. A triple Torah, because the Torah is divided into Torah Nevi'im and Ksuvim. La'am he gave it to a triple nation, which is the Jewish people, which are made up of Kohanim, Levi'im, and Israel. So both. The Torah, which is the transmission, is one of three. The receiver, the Jewish people, are made up of three. Kohanim, Levi'im, and Israelim. And the, the mediator, the one who's actually bringing us the Torah, he's also a third associated with the number three, because Moshe Rabbeinu was the third in the family. He had two older siblings, Miriam and Aaron, and Moshe is number three. And he gave it to us, the time was also the time of three. It was the third month, which is the month of Sivan, the third month of the year beginning in Nisan. On the third day, if you listen to the Chumash last week, to the reading of the Torah, kept on hearing again, be prepared for the third day, be prepared for the third day. It wasn't the third day of the month, but it was the third day from when Moshe's you know, God gave instructions that they should have intense preparation on the third day. Good. This is what the Gemara says. The commentators add a whole bunch of more things associated with Torah with number three. So first of all, Rabbeinu Bachai and Ramban and Abarbanel and all these unsafe Bereshis, it connects the giving of the Torah to the third millennium. Torah was given between the year 2000 and the year 3000, which is the year 2448. In addition to that, in addition to all of that, um, the, the Rabbeinu Nisan, um, on the side of the, of the Gemara, um, he, 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 he brings a medrash, and he also, and on his own, um, uh, associates a whole list of other elements of three uh, connected to the giving of the Torah. First of all, he says the letters of the Torah are three. What are the letters of the Torah of three? It says Torah is Torah's MS, it's the Torah of truth. And MS is Aleph Mem Taf, three words, three letters. And then he says, Moshe Rabbeinu comes from, first of all, our fathers, the Jewish people. Our foundation is three Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So it's three fathers. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu is, comes from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi, Levi is the third, Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi. Then he says, Levi himself has three letters in his name, Lamed, Vav, Yud. Moshe has three letters in his name, Mem, Shin, He. Then he says, not only is the, the written Torah made up of three, Torah, Nevi, and Meksuvim, Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law, is also made up of three. Talmud, Midrash, Talmud, Halacha, and Haggadah. So the, that's three parts to the oral law. Talmud, Halacha, and Haggadah. Um, Halacha is the final verdict. of like When you're learning Shulchan Aruch, you're learning Rambam. Talmud is the, the pilpul, the back and forth, the extrapolation and the, the whole uh, uh, you know, uh, brilliance behind it. And then Agadah is the midrash, so three parts to it. Prayer is also three times a day we pray. 
Shachris Minchen Mairev, Erev Uvoi he brings the Pasuk. We say Kedusha, which we sanctify God. We know we say Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. And I think he has more over there, I just don't remember all of them. Where everything is 333. Three, three. And I saw in Sefer Igra de Kala, which is the Sefer of the uh, Bnei Yisachar, on a great Hasidic master, on last week's parsha. He says on the Pasuk, Vayichan Sham Yisrael, that it says, introduces the whole parsha of the giving of the Torah. It says, in the third month, let's say it's Bnei Yisrael, when the Jewish people came out of the land of Egypt. This special day, what was so special? Bo Midbar Sinai, which means Rosh Chodesh. They came to, to Midbar Sinai. And what was the consequence of that? Vayichan Sham Yisrael, Negedahar. Yisrael um, camped, Israel camped opposite the mount. So what does it say? And, and the Pasuk seems to connect the, the Israel coming on that day and camping next to the mountain with, with Dafka, with it being Bachodesh Ashlishi on the third month. What's the relationship? And also Rashi is bothered by it. What does it say, Vayichan Sham Yisrael? And Israel camped. It says in the singular. It should have said, Vayachanu Sham. They camped over there. There were a few million people. Why does it say Vayichan? So Rashi says, because all the Jewish people were all unified. The Jewish people were like one person with one heart. And they were all unified and stood totally uni together, united. So it was as if they were one person. That's what Rashi says. The Bnei Yisachar says that it could be that Vayichan Sham Yisrael is not referring to the Jewish people, but it's referring to Yaakov Avinu, who's called Yisrael, the grandfather Yaakov. When they came to Harsina, you know, whose soul was hovering over the mountain, who was there, and whose energy kind of was permeated, all of them, the Yaakov. Why Yaakov? Why not Avram and Yitzchak? And the answer is, because Yaakov is the third, and this is the third month, so it's the energy of number three, and the Yaakov is Torah, and Torah is, because, uh, you know, Avram is Chesed, kindness, Yitzchak is Avoda, the pillar, but Torah is Yaakov. And Bechodesh Ashlishi, so Vayichan Sham Yisrael, Yaakov was there. And he doesn't make the connection between Yaakov and Rashi's Pirush. He just says it could mean, but I would like to say that really it's both of them are connected. Because the idea that all the Jewish people were unified and they became like one person, that concept is the concept of peace. And that idea comes, Dafka, from the number three, from Yaakov Avinu, which is the energy of number three. Because the energy of number three is the energy of peacemaking the energy of bridging, of unifying. And that's why, it's because Yaakov was there, Yisrael. that's why the Jewish people were all one person with one heart, as we will soon see. But that's just another element where you see three. Everything about the giving of the Torah is three. Now further in the Gemara, now the, 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 the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father points this out, um, in, in uh, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, um, he says another element of three by you're giving of the Torah in Shavuos, Rabbi Yosef uh, wants to celebrate this great day of Shavuos, the giving of the Torah, and he says, Khali, take for me, uh, or prepare for me, Eglotilsa, um, um, I think the, the word over there is, prepare for me a, a 
calf. I was make make a make a make a good uh, make a make, you know make a good um, prepare a good roast. That's what he's asking for, because today's a special day. We have to we have to celebrate. But he asked for something specific. He asked he asked for a calf that's in order to be very tender meat. Take the third one. That's what Rashi explains. It means the third born calf from the mother. Looks like after the mother had two pregnancies, the third one, the baby, the, 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 the calf, is a little softer. And that's what he asked for. But he's asking for number three. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak says, here you see again, that when we're celebrating the giving of the Torah, it's related to number three, as in this, uh, in this that he asked for Eglatil Sadafka, third, the third born. Now, we need to understand, and again, I did discuss this, but I th I, today will be quite a few chedushim, so I think uh, you should stay tuned because there's a lot of exciting things coming up. But Ezra Sashem, if it all works out, I don't know where this shear is, like a wild ideas in my head, I don't know where this is going, but let's see. In any case, um, the question is why, what the significance of it all being number three? Who, who cares? I mean, if it would, it's nice that it's all working out, that God is keeping a certain order, it's all following a certain number and everything is, but there must be a deeper significance in the fact that everything is working out with the number three. It must be that the number three is essential to the giving of the Torah. It is at the root and at the heart of the giving of the Torah. Um, another thing I'd like to, to point out is the one who introduces this whole teaching, the, his name is, we don't have a name for him. The Talmud says, this Galilite fellow. So who is he? Doesn't have a name? Find out his name before, <laughs> before you print him in the Gemara. I'm sure you could have located him and, and, and said, what's your name? So we can put, we can, we can put, we can put you down. You know, the way we, why are we saying, you know, the guy from San Francisco? Okay. Um, could have used maybe a little, little better editing in the Gemara. So we have to say that what? That uh, no, 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 the Gemara intentionally wants to call him the person from the Galilite. So what's the idea? The idea is, as Hasidus explains, the Rebbe explains this in many places, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, that uh, since, as we mentioned earlier, since the Torah is all about the harmony of connecting Hashem to the world, the words of the Rambam is as follows. In the end of Hilchis Hanukkah, the Rambam says, God um, HaSholem, it's all the way in the end of Sefer's Manim, the, the, the book of the second book, it's the third book, second book, or third, second book. The first one is Mada, and the second one I think, no, third book, there's Mada, Ava, and then Zmanim. So in the end of the book of Zmanim, again, third, how, how do you like that? It's the end, it's the seam of the third book. See, we found another number three. And over there, the Rambam says, God the Rambam is talking over there about the law that um, if you only have enough money for Ner Hanukkah, for a Hanukkah lamp, or Shabbos candles, so which one takes precedence over the other? Shabbos candles or Hanukkah candles? Hanukkah candles will publicize the miracle. Shabbos candles... Uh, or Shabbos candles, which one comes first? So the Rambam says you use it for Shabbos candles. And the reason for it is because Shabbos candles is meant to keep peace in the house. Because Hanukkah candles, you're not really supposed to benefit from its light. Shabbos candles is meant to be benefit from the light. It's supposed to illuminate so that 
It says because of Shalom Bayis, because if it would be dark, then a husband and a wife would quarrel more because they would have certain spills and trip and fall and you know, you thought she's giving him, you know, he's asking for a spoon and she's giving him a fork and, and he's getting upset or she, whatever, she wants, it, it's no good. You know, he wipes his hand in the tablecloth instead of the towel or whatever it is and she gets upset. So in order that there should, these, these problems shouldn't happen, um, the, uh, the, 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 the sages institute that we should light candles, it should be uh, light. And that keeps the peace in the house. So the Rambam concludes the final halacha and he says, Godel HaShalom, peace is so great that V'chol HaToyrek Nitna and the Torah was given last Shalom Ba'olam to make peace in the world. Shenemar, as it says, her ways are ways of peace, and all of her pathways, shalom, are peace. I'm sorry, her ways are ways of pleasantness, ways of pleasantness, and all of her pathways, shalom, are peace. That means that the intention and the purpose of the Torah coming into the world is to make peace in the world. But the question is, what does that mean? How does Torah make peace in the world? Where is the peace that the Torah makes? What's the significance of that peace? On the simple level, you can say that when a person follows the dictates and the laws of the Torah, it refines you. The Torah study itself brings refinement to the individual. In addition to that, observance of mitzvahs, a very strict and... and, um, and um, particularized, if you can say, and specific code of behavior, which uh, is, some ways, can, is restrictive. And basically, what that re- constant restriction does to a person, especially if you're starting off very young, is that it, uh, it weakens the ego, it weakens the eye, the, the, the inflated self of a sense of uh, entitlement to everything, and so on and so forth. Because you're constantly told no. You have to tell yourself no a uh, hundred times a day. I want this, not kosher. I want to do that. No, no, you're not allowed to. That's muktza. That isn't okay. So by telling yourself no, 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 you deflate the ego. You become a little less, uh, less important in your own eyes. And that generally is very good for, um, for coexistence. People get along with each other much better when you're not if you're a spoiled brat. And all your life, everything you said, I, I want, I need, I this, you've always helped yourself to it and never had any constrictions, or even if you do, but only very minimal, um, then that turns a person many times into a monster. But Torah, uh, with its constant uh, controlling of the person in which it controls our behavior and dictates so and so, that uh, causes a, a mensch. And that uh, mensch then can live with other mention, and the world is a better place. And that's what we can say is the meaning of it brings peace to the world. But according to that, it would only be that it doesn't bring peace to the world, it brings peace to the Torah community, to those who study and those who follow the ways of Torah and mitzvahs. Um, if it says the Torah was given to bring peace in the world, that's the entire world, universal. How does Torah bring peace to the entire planet, the entire world? And we know that world peace is a Jewish objective. It's a Jewish idea. It's a messianic idea. That this, that there's one day going to be a time when all people are going to be together and all are going to get along with each other, shoulder to shoulder, mankind will stand. 
and without any animosity and hatred, without any um, envy and, and uh, even competition, but people will live in absolute unity, that's the ideal of what Rambam says is Mashiach. Mashiach says, Rambam says that in the laws of kings, chapter 11, or chapter 12, at that time, there will not be in the days in the experience of Mashiach. No hunger, and no war. No, no jealousy, and no competition. It's going to be a world of peace and harmony. And as we're, right, that's the dream of, of, of the world to come. As the Navi says, man will not lift the sword up against the other. That means that the universal peace and harmony and coexistence between all people in the world and tolerance is the Jewish, the Jewish vision for mankind. To reach, right? So... That's the objective. To get to that objective, in a world that has been so riddled with war and with hatred and with bloodshed and with cruelty throughout the ages of so much, so much hate and so much um, intolerance and discrimination and who knows what that the world has suffered by, how do we get to this perfect world? So Judaism has the answer. The answer is the application of Torah. That's what the Torah comes to do. It will unify and bring harmony between all of men, not only amongst people that are directly keeping the Torah. It's not that Jews would get along with each other. That's also a nice thing. But that the entire world will get along with, with each other. How does that work? How do we get to that? How do we get to that in a fundamental way? How do we get to that utopian state of existence in, any, in, a, in, a, in a fundamental, true, real, lasting, permanent way? People try different things, but it doesn't really work. How is it really going to work? And the answer is as follows. It's when the world makes peace with God, then the world will make peace with each other. The Jewish people are called the peacemakers. It's interesting that when you, know, when you travel somewhere, and um, people you know, generally have a reaction to Jews. You see a Jew, especially if a person is noticeably Jewish, I get it all the time. People notice you, so either, you know, <laughs> either you make some people uncomfortable or people get very excited. People get very excited. They love to say, and they love one of the things, they, they like to show that they know Hebrew. And what do they say? They say shalom. People love saying shalom to Jews. And that's the way we greet each other. In other words, our interaction with the world, with another human being, begins with peace. Shalom Aleichem, peace upon you. Because that's our identity. Even though probably the Jewish people, because of us, a lot of the opposite of peace seems to be generated in the world because people didn't really like us. But yet, really, fundamentally, on a much deeper, inner level, the Jew is the peacemaker. And the Jew brings, first of all, the whole concept of Mashiach, which is the concept that is then in, 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 in all religions in which people believe in a utopian universal uh, oneness is, 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 originates in Judaism. So Judaism brings that whole ideal to the world of peace and harmony. 
not of conquest and conquering and so on and so forth, but a, a peaceful resolve to all of, it's a Jewish idea. But, but how does it work? Also, it says that, that um, in Shir Hashirim, the Jewish people are called the Shulamis. Hashem refers to the Jewish people, Shuvi, Shuvi HaShulamis. Shulamis returned to me. One of our names as Jews is Shulamis. Why are we called Shulamis? Hashem says, because you're the ones who bring peace between me and the world. So to bring peace between all factions of existence, there first needs to be peace between God and the creation. Now, why does God need peace with the creation? What does it mean? Why is he fighting with the creation? What's the conflict? The conflict is simple. When God is creating and sustaining and bringing all of existence into existence every second, and the creation is oblivious to it, and the creation is completely ignoring it, and the creation doesn't have any gratitude and no sense of not even paying attention to the fact that it is being generated by, by Hashem, but rather it takes the credit for itself, that's a little, that creates friction, that's conflict. Because God created us and each and every one of us with the intention to live in a certain way, in a certain way that is, is, is righteous in God's eyes, in certain ways that is correct in Hashem's eyes. Every single one of us has a purpose and a mission for what God created us. And, we, and when we're doing that mission, then we're at peace with our Creator. And not only that, we're expressing our Creator. So the creation and God are perfectly harmonized. But if God created us with an intention to do such and such, and to live such and such of a life, and get married in such and such a way, and to live in accordance to a certain ethical and moral code, but we don't care about that because what takes precedence in our life is not God, but ourselves because we don't even acknowledge that God exists. And so if God doesn't exist, who, 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 who? So first of all, that itself is conflict between God and his creation. He's definitely not happy. He's not happy that he creates somebody and the creation and he's responsible 100%. It's not like the creation God told, told us, go bring some material, I'm going to create you. At least we would be partners. We would be something. We didn't contribute one iota. We didn't even exist as an idea. God originated the idea and he created us from absolute nothingness. And he sustains us every second from not being to being. Shouldn't we be more attentive? Shouldn't we be more, more <laughs> sensitive to the fact and constantly praising and thanking and living with the basic decency in a way that makes God comfortable with, with, with the creation that he created. So that's the conflict that we're talking about, where the world is not, the, and the, but, but even though God creates the world, the reason there is conflict is because of that af that we discussed earlier. It's not our fault, it's God's fault. He created a world in which the creations do not feel that he's creating it. He's concealed from the creations. You are a God that hides. So since God is concealed from the creations, the creations don't respond to him. Now if you don't feel God, who do you feel? You feel yourself. And if you feel yourself, then you become God. Again, if there's no absolute being then who, and in your consciousness, then who is the absolute being? You feel, I am. Where do I come from? I, don't, I am. I always was. That's the feeling. 
Without a creator, you always were. I mean, even though technically, scientifically, you know that's not the case, but it's still that's the that's the that's that's the sense, that's the that's the feeling in your emotion. I always was, I am, and I'm absolute. And therefore, everything should be mine. And if everything should be mine, what are you doing here? So you're you're a challenge to my exclusivity. And obviously, in a situation like that, there won't be we won't do too well in coexistence and in respect and honor and um, tolerance for each other. Doesn't mean we're going to go take a sword or, or a gun, God forbid, and run around and shoot everybody, because uh, we know that won't end up good for us because the police will come and probably shoot us. Chas v'shalom, God forbid. So you know, if you want to, well, or you might end up in prison, and that's not going to be a happy life to live. So um, because of all these calculations, in which it does, it's not worth it to live, a, 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 to, 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 you know, to, to destroy everything around you so that you can have all the gold and all the silver and all the money and all the pleasure and all the delight and everything. So then we figure out how to live with each other. So figuring out how to live with each other means, in essence, I'm talking on a deep level. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking that everybody makes this calculation, but this is kind of like the subconscious drive in humanity. Why do I have to... You know, live in peace with my neighbors because uh, I want to. I, I want to live safely. So I want my neighbors to watch out for me. You know, if someone is breaking into my house, they're going to call the. You know, call me up. And call the police or whatever. I want. You know, I'll, I'll look out for you. You look out for me. So it's basically a self-centered type of a thing. You care. I'm really looking out for myself. So then, if I feel any any importance in your existence, I could kind of. Uh, work you into my existence, that you can exist and be an enhancement in my life. I need community, I need people, I need company, and then I can fit. So then good, if I don't like you, because you irritate me, because you're not contributing to my, uh, to my existence, you're not um, enhancing my existence, then I want to get rid of you. If I'm able to, I do. If I'm not, then uh, whatever. But that's the idea. So there's never real peace. We can call it this way. Every creature and every being is living for themselves because without a God, everybody's a God to their own and gods don't like each other. That's the idea. So at the best, gods can make a, can make a ceasefire. We can make a truce. And that's the coexistence that exists in the world without God. That's the best we can do. And again, I'm talking um, very general but if you, we can take this down into the psychology and to the details and sub-details of all behavior of mankind. Without Hashem, without a recognition of a higher power, it's basically self-motivated for the preservation and for the enhancement of self. And in that case, I'm really, in essence, every creature and every being is at war with everybody unless you can make a ceasefire with as many entities you can do. And then there are those that you're not in a ceasefire and you'll fight. And there'll be a land grab, and there'll be a, a this grab, and a that grab, and a money competition, and envy if you have more than me, and jealousy, and hatred, and war, and racial tension, and ethnical tension, and so on and so forth. This is my team, and you're not on my team, and all the stuff. So we see a lack of peace between a creation and God is a lack of peace translates into if there's no God, then everything is separated. If everything is separated, there cannot be peace. There can only be a temporary peace. That means I, I coexist with you as long as I feel somehow it's beneficial to me. The moment I, there is something that's not beneficial to me, then I might just decide that you're not important and disregard you completely. So, um, but how then do we really make peace 
then in a real, organic, true, deep, essential way. And that is when we recognize that we all are created by one God. And that one God has an interest in each and every one of us and our existence. And our existence is not ours. Our existence is the, really the existence of our Creator, that He's being His existence into us. As the Rambam says in the beginning of the laws of Mishnah Torah, Rambam, right in the beginning, says that it's, it's important, everybody has to know that there is a primary being, primordial being, that there is a Matsui Rishon, there is a first being. Mamtsi kol nimtza, when that being brings forth and brings into existence all of existence. V'chol and all the existences, every being, loy nimtzu, doesn't exist, elamamita simmatsai, from the truth of God's existence. That means if we trace our origins back, 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 it might be through a lot of evolution, but when we trace ourselves back, 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 when I say evolution, I mean spiritual evolution in which we all emerge from first existing in a higher plane, in a higher plane, but when we trace ourselves back, 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 all the way to the rewind, rewind to the first cause, the first cause is God himself. A simple being that has no definition, infinite, transcending, transcends even the infinite as well. And from him, from his singular, what's called achta sapshuta, the simple oneness of God, comes a creation that is that is multi-dimensional and um, of endless variation with all the different colors and shapes and forms and philosophies and ideas and concepts and artistic talents and character traits and so on and so forth, which creates this magnificent, beautiful community called humanity in which everybody has their own mind and their own heart and their own way of thinking and their own way of experiencing and their own characteristic traits and so on and so forth. But really in truth, they're all here to express, express the infinite possibility of an infinite creator. And each one has something to contribute to a magnificent world that will express the infinite bounty and infinite blessing of the infinite creator who wants creation to live without dying for all of eternity in, in endless goodness. But, it will only, but what they need to do first is embrace their creator. In other words, when the creation will, so put it into simple words, I don't know if it's simple, but to put it into a short um, phrase, when we can attach and draw the simple unity, the achta sapshuta, the simple quintessential beginning of all of existence, and make it be felt in the final product, in the outer levels of existence, in the, as we spoke earlier, the four worlds, Bria, Yetzira, Asiya, in the world of action, we can bring the unity to be felt that all the way in the most external elements, then the unity will completely encompass all of existence, and everybody will live in peace and in harmony, because we'll all be connected to the essential. Then we're essentially connected to each other because what am I at my core? An expression of God. And what are you at your core? An expression of God. I don't have any more reason or justification to exist more than you in any other way, in any way. Quite on the kind, we all enhance each other because we all create this multi-faceted, magnificent expression of the perfection of our creator. As we're all together, we're all unified in this, in this symphony, in this beauty. When, when mankind will sense that and feel that, then we have 
the perfect world. And then there isn't possibly ever for anybody to hurt anybody else, anybody to take away, any rob something from someone else, any criminal act, any, any type of harmful activity is, 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 doesn't, is not even a thought. It doesn't occur because we have this boundless love for each other because we all recognize that that essential oneness at the core of our existence and it's not just at the core of our existence, we feel it in all of our aspects, in every cell of our body, in every, in every dimension of our existence, in all the different aspects of who we are and what we are, it's all felt that one singular unity. That accomplishment of bringing the singular unity into the diversity, this core essential unity, which is God, into the creation, that's the Torah. So the Torah merges Hashem with the world, brings Hashem out into the world, that the unity should be felt in the... And that's the reason why that when God gave the Torah, when Hashem gave the Torah at Har Sinai, what was the experience at Sinai? What happened? When Hashem said, I am God, you're God, that's exactly what happened. At the giving of the Torah, the moment He said, I am God and God, He revealed this simple oneness that's, that is that is the truth of all of existence. And that's why it says that the Jewish people heard that and felt, and, and, and when, when God spoke, the, the, the experience of the Torah wasn't like God speaking somewhere from up there from heaven. The voice was coming from everywhere, from all four directions, wherever they looked, from the cactus tree in the desert, the stone, the, 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 the sand in the desert, they looked up in the blue sky, and they looked to the north, to the south, the hilltops, Whatever was around them, wherever they can see, from their, them, from their own body, from their neighbors standing next to them, from their children, from the animals that were in the, in, the, in the desert, whatever was there, everything was saying the same. One word was coming from everywhere. I'm God, your God. Who is God, your God? He is. He is the is of everything and everywhere. So there was nothing that was outside of Hashem. Everything was Hashem. And God was, His voice is powerful. In other words, the oneness spoke in the diversity, revealed itself, and they saw how what seems to be so many distinct elements is really only an expression of one singular God, and it's all Him. Why was that, why was that the opening of the giving of the Torah? Because that's the Torah. What's the Torah? The Torah enables each individual creature in its own space, in time and space, in its own particular state, as we spoke earlier, with all of its features, his or her features, in terms of character traits, in terms of position in the world, and so on and so forth, to function in accordance to the singular unity's will. Because what's the Torah? The Torah is directing God's will of how we ought to live in every situation and in every detail of our life. Every, our diet, it's not what I want, it's what God says is good for me to eat and how to eat and blessings before we eat, after we eat, so we can have gratitude and thank Hashem for the food that we've eaten. Clothing, what we can wear, Clothing has to be tzniyas, to be modest. Clothing needs to be kosher, can't be wool and linen together. Business, 
what is right, what is wrong, what does God approve of, what does he not approve of, what is right, keeping being honest, and so on and so forth. All the details, and the details are details of details. Torah goes through every aspect of life. It dictates your kitchen, it dictates your bedroom, it dictates your wardrobe, it dictates your communal life, it dictates your business life, it dictates every, your parenting, your relationships, your marriage, your intimacy, everything. From the moment the child is born, not even before you're born, from before you're conceived, you conceive in, in accordance to God's will, because God gives laws of family purity, which governs intimacy, which brings a child into the world. So the very inception of the child, if one is following the Torah, the very beginning of the existence of the child is one that is allowing the unity into the individual child, because the first cell of this child's coming into existence is, was based on the law of the Torah, of God's will. So it's a holy child, it's a holy being. Holiness means it's connected to God not disconnected. And then as there's the laws of how to raise a child, and again as the child, an educated child, and then as the child gets married, you know, laws pertaining to that, pertaining to having, to building a home and having children and business and every, and there's even laws when a person passes away, the laws of the burial, and the laws of what to do after a person passes away. Every element of our life, from the moment we wake up to the moment we close our eyes, from the moment we're born to the moment until after, from before we're born till after we pass away. It's all dictated, every aspect according to the divine will. So the unity is expressed in the diversity. Other words, without that, every, what are you doing? Whatever you're up to today, whatever you're in the mood of today, wherever I'm, and then you're fragmented, you're splintered into a million things because we as our own, we're, we're subject to change, we're influenced by all the changes that are happening, politically this, that, styles that are happening, movements that are going on, we are completely, there's nothing stable that's going through our life that's singular and holding and it's nothing. But our faith and our connection to God and Torah, it's that singular obedience that our entire life, and what is it connected to? It's the will of the supreme being emanating and bringing us into existence. So it's the oneness in the diversity. And that's the reason why it brings peace in the world. Now, you'll say, well, not everybody keeps the Torah. Not everybody has to keep the Torah. When we, the Jewish people, keep the Torah and do it across the entire world, we emanate this unity into creation. And people start becoming more conscious of God, and they ought to be keeping the seven Noahide laws to help facilitate this as well. Also live accordance to God's will, so that unity can express itself in the nations of the world as well. When we complete this work, we have Mashiach. And this is real peace, true peace. This is lasting peace. This can never go away because we've healed the world from, its, from the plague of discord and so on and, and, and war and because it's fundamentally changed. The very consciousness of humanity has changed. When Mashiach comes, when we're finished projecting God, the unity, into every aspect of the diverse world, then the world will be filled with an incredible, intense consciousness of God. That's the meaning of Hashem having a home in this world. Wonders you will see. What is the wonders? The incredible consciousness. The incredible um, elevation in our consciousness, which every being will experience. We will all be living eternally in peace and in harmony and in coexistence. 
That is Mashiach's world. And that's the, that's, that's the plan. That's the purpose. The Torah is the one that does it. But one of the important differences, which we really have to appreciate, is between the giving of the, the moment the Torah was given, in which that unity was felt, and, the, and when Mashiach comes. Because when the Torah was given and that unity was felt, that oneness was felt, the oneness canceled our existence. It silenced us. That's why when God gave the Torah, first of all, we couldn't handle it. All of our souls departed the body. People died. Everybody, the entire, everybody passed out. And number two, it says that the animals in the world, everything turned silent. Birds didn't fly. Um, uh, uh, cows didn't moo. Um, I think it says even that the water, the ocean fell silent. Everything became still. The whole world was silent because God was speaking. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? For then it was a very good thing. We got to stop for a moment and listen to God. And that was music to our ears. It was so sweet. It was so powerful that we died from it. But there's a deeper meaning in the fact that we died. The reason we died, we couldn't handle it, means because when the unity was revealed, when the one was revealed, it canceled the, the diversity. It overwhelmed the diversity. So you couldn't be yourself. You couldn't have an opinion. You couldn't say anything. You couldn't um, uh, express yourself because God was being expressed in you and he therefore silenced you as a as who we are, we were silenced in the overwhelming, overpowering, ginormous revelation of the supreme being. God doesn't want that because that's not a relationship. A relationship is not I talk and you shut up. That's not a relationship. A relationship is harmony, fusion. Fusion is that there can be the infinite and there can be you and you both live together. Fusion is that we can experience ourselves and our unique selves and what we have to contribute when Mashiach will come God will talk and we will talk we will all talk together I mean in a way that we can uh, uh, the meaning to say his expression will not override our expression there will be just a in, in each and every one of our details we will sense that this is an idea this is an opinion this is a a concept this is a a, uh, a innovation, it's yours, but you are really what? Or me, you, all of us, what are we really? A, fi a finite, one of the finite expressions of an infinite being. And then we're not really finite anymore because we're really all part of the infinite. So it's that emergence of the finite and the infinite that's gonna happen when Mashiach comes in perfect harmony. And that's the ultimate peace. And that's the reason why the Torah is number three. Because when you have two, two forces that don't get along with or are having problems, in or, two opposites, in order to bridge them, you need a mediator. The mediator bridges, and that's number three. The mediator bridging one to the other. So the mediation, like uh, to a couple, you know, when things are not going so well, they go to a counselor. The marriage counselor can kind of help them figure it out. Help them merge together. Torah is the merger. And that's why Torah is number three. Three, the number of complete harmony between God and the world. For that reason, it is exciting when it's 3,333 years from when the Torah was given, we got, hopefully, the lesson of 3333 
the lesson of peace, the completion of the Torah's impact on the world in making the world ready to be synchronized with God. Now, and here we find something really, really fascinating. And that is that um, where else do we see the number 33 as being a significant number? So let me share with you a couple of things and let's see how we can sew it all together and then bring it all back to Purim and to the month of Adar. So, um, number one, in the Torah we find that there is 33 days after a woman gives birth. Her, her, um, a woman when she has any kind of a um, blood that she sees related to a menstrual period and so on and so forth, um, that causes a certain ritual impurity. The only time a woman's blood is not considered impure is after she gives birth, there is a period of time. For a boy, it's 33 days. And for a woman, for a girl, it's, um, I think, 66. Not sure. But for a boy, it's 33 days. So there you have the number 33 in the Torah. Okay. Another time we have number 33 is we're all familiar with the concept of Lag Ba'omer. That means between Pesach and Shavuos, there is 33, we start counting. The first 33 days until the 33rd day, which is Lag Ba'omer, which we know Lag Ba'omer is celebrated with great, great joy and festivities. But we know that the first 33 days is difficult days. They're days of mourning. We don't take haircuts. We don't make weddings. Um, because it's, it's uh, a time that there was a plague. Students of Rabbi Akiva um, didn't get along with each other, and they passed away. So it's actually connecting to the time we're in right now, where we're also witnessing a plague. But on the 33rd day, the plague ended. The next thing of 33. King David, David HaMelech, became king when he was 30 years old. And that's associated with the number 30 being a, a number associated with Shlemus of Malchus, the completion of kingship. So David HaMelech was 30 years old when he became a king. The Mishnah says, Kingship is acquired with 30, 30 steps, 30 qualities. So David HaMelech, when he reached the age of 30, became king. Yosef also became king when he was 30. So in Judaism, 30 is a very important number for kingship. But for the first seven years of his kingdom, he was a king from 30 to 37. He was a king only over his own tribe. And his seat of his kingship was in Hebron. That's where his, that was his palace. Then, when he was 37 years old, he ascended to the throne in Jerusalem. And he became king over all of the Jewish people. And for how long did that last? David HaMelech passed away when he was 70. So from 37 till 70. How long is that? That's 33 years. So David HaMelech was king in Yerushalayim for 33 years. Now so here's another one. In regarding to Purim. In Megillah's Esther, when Esther was asked to go see Achashverosh, 
um, she was, you know, when, the, when it was known that the decree happened, Mordechai asks Esther, please go to Achashverosh and plead for your people, that he should annul this horrible decree. And Esther first gives them, gives them you know, the argument that whatever, that, that would be risking my life. And in the end, uh, he prompts her to go. So what does she say? Well, she said that the king made a decree that anybody that comes into the inner courtyard without permission is risking their life. If the king will extend the scepter, they will live. But if not, then they'll just take him away because the king was paranoid because he already had an assassination attempt on his life by Big Son and Seresh. And uh, so now that he was, he was very paranoid, so anybody that's coming in over there was already suspect. So you're not allowed to come there. So Esther said I would be, and she said, I was not called for 30 days. 30 days, he didn't call me. But now when Mordechai said, you, listen here, if you're not going to help out, the help is going to come from somewhere else, but you're going to lose out. So she decided she's going to go. She told the Jewish people, what? Told Mordechai, go tell the Jewish people to, to, to fast for three days. And it started immediately. A fast for three days. Announce a three-day fast. So if she wasn't called for 30 days, and now she fasted three days, and on the 33rd day, she went, on the third day, she went to Tachashverosh. That means she went on the 33rd day. So we see number 33. Okay, what do these things all have in common? What's the idea over here? And as we're saying earlier, this year is 3,333 years since the giving of the Torah. What's the idea? So the concept, as we mentioned earlier, three is the number of peace. With three, there is the, the, the complete fusion of creation and, the, and, and God. So first of all, let's talk about King David. King David, David HaMelech, is um, the first, and how do you make peace to the world? You introduce the Torah, which Torah is number three. As we said earlier, Yaakov Avinu is the source of Torah. From the three of us, he's the most precious one. And he's the one associated with the Torah. So um, when is the Torah going to be most applied to the world? See, when the Jews were in the desert, we received the Torah, but we were living in a, in a, in a, in a Cancun of holiness. We were living in a, in a bubble. We weren't part of the world. We were living a miraculous existence. Bread was falling from the sky. Water was coming from Iraq. We were in a, a kind of fairy tale existence. It was real, but it was that... God created an alternate re reality for us. We weren't in the world. When we went into Eretz Yisrael, that meant going into the world and starting to apply the Torah. But a full, complete application of the Torah would only come when we can settle Hashem down in the world completely. And that was once we can build the Beis HaMikdash. In where? In Jerusalem. The first step was to create the kingdom of David HaMelech in Yerushalayim. That was, the, that was the beginning of the complete implementation of Torah in the world. Having all the mitzvahs in a permanent place, the headquarters being the base of Mingdash, and more than that, that's where you have the complete dwelling of God in this world, which is what the Torah is all about, to bring Hashem down to the world, and even according to the Torah, the headquarters, not, not even, primarily according to the Torah, the headquarters of that fusion, the point of contact where God, through that place, there is an infusion of Hashem and godly consciousness throughout the entire world, is 
is in the base Hamikdash. Va'asuli Mikdash, make for me a base Hamikdash. V'shachanti, and I will dwell b'solcham in all of you, and every single Jew, and through the Jewish people in the entire world. But through what? Through making first the base Hamikdash, God's presence in in the base Hamikdash, and that's why Jerusalem is the city of peace. The first time Jerusalem is mentioned in the Torah explicitly is it says the king Malki Tzedek, the king Tzedek, which is Shem, the son of Noah, which by the way, Noah begins to build the world and he actually has three children. Because number three is the word, the number of Tikkun. This, when we say uh, a Tikkun Olam, to fix the world, means to make a Tikkun, fixing the world means to bring peace and harmony in the world by all, all of the world being connected to each other by first being connected to God. So Noah is the one who's a preparation before the Jewish people, before Avram Avinu. And Noah has three children. But in any case, shame um, is the, the, um, the, uh, uh, the Torah relates how Avram Avinu, when he came back fighting Nimrod, okay, the one who was rebelling against God, making the opposite of peace. See? Nimrod was the powerful force that tried to, no, see here's also a fascinating thing which I'm, I'm just connecting it right now. And that is that, you see, Avram Avinu comes to the world at the beginning of the third millennium because the beginning of Torah really begins with Avram. He's the one who recognizes God. He's the one who starts making peace between Hashem and the world. And therefore Avram starts keeping the Torah. He's, and when did he actually start his campaign of spreading monotheism and fixing the world? Moshiach really begins with Avram Avinu. When did he start? He started um, um, with um, Avram Avinu uh, begins in the third millennium. He was actually, I think, 52 years old or 48 years old at the turn of the millennium. When it became the year 2000, which means we entered into the third millennium, which is the which halfway through almost 500 years later, 2448, 448 years later, is going to be the giving of the Torah. So Avram Avinu was, that's when he's beginning his work. Avram Avinu actually started functioning as a Jew at 75. So this is literally at the beginning of the third millennium, a few years into it. But we see right before that, the unholy always tries to mimic the holy. So if the power of peace is about to be introduced in the world, first the unholy tries to create a, a, um, a uh, superficial, or, or I was looking for another word, a, uh, a, an imitation. I wasn't looking for that word. I had a better word. It just flew out of my head. Um, it creates a imitation, uh, a fake, a fake piece, and it tries to present itself as the Mashiach. So what happened then? Who was the leader of it? Nimrod. And what did he try to do? World peace. He was he he had the idea first before Abraham, but his world peace involved a rebellion against God. Let's have world peace without God. We will do whatever we want. We will have tolerance. We will love each other. <laughs> but let's get God out of the picture. It doesn't work. So they built that tower in Bavel, and the point over there was to fight God and to you know just believe in, in, in science and nature. They were building you know big towers to hold the, the sky up from collapsing. And the parallels in our generation is huge. Right before Mashiach comes, we see the same movement. It's very, very strong, and it has to collapse, and it will fall apart, as we will see. 
Avram Avinu was fighting Nimrod. Okay, so now when Avram Avinu, many years later, Nimrod wants to, wants to attack Avram and he takes his nephew Lot, which by the way, Lot is the father of Mashiach. So you see, Nimrod is, is the, he can't stand Mashiach, he wants to fight Mashiach. So he's grabbing Lot, he's taking it into captivity. Avram, for the sake of Mashiach, who's in Lot, because Lot is going to be the grandfather of Rus, so Avram goes out to fight Nimrod, and he wins the war. And then, what does he do? He's coming back with Lot, with Mashiach, who comes out to greet him, Shame, the son of Noah. And what does the Pasuk say? Malki Tzedek, Melech Shalem, the king of Jerusalem. And what is the city called? Shalem, the king of peace. You see, when Avram is bring, when Avram destroys the fake powers of Mashiach, though those who are trying to create an artist of the word I was looking for, those who are trying to create an artificial peace, an artificial world order, once he destroys them, and he's coming back with Mashiach, with Lot, he needs Mashiach needs Jerusalem. So who comes to greet him? The king of Jerusalem. Where is he going to manifest his kingdom? It's really cool. It just occurred to me while I'm giving the class. When you have Lot, you have really David Melech. You have already, so who comes to greet him? The king of Yerushalayim. But what is he called? Melech Shalem, the king of, of peace. Because peace can only come when there is in Jerusalem. Because real organic peace can only come when God will be revealed in the hearts of men. When all of humanity will experience that singular unity, that singular oneness, the achtos, the, 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 the primordial being will be felt in all the, in all the details, which is what happens, which is what you need. You need Jerusalem for that. And that's the reason why I explained so many times, those that are bringing us today artificial peace are so scared of Jerusalem being in, Jews, in Jewish hands. They want to split Jerusalem. They want to ne negotiate with the Palestinians and God forbid create a two-state solution. You see, this is, this is a very deep fight that's going on. It's a cosmic battle that's going on. But in any case, um, what is he called? Melech Sholem. He's the king of, 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 of Shalom, of peace. Because Jerusalem is the city, and Jerusalem, and then when Jerusalem got its name Jerusalem, it's because the Medrash says that Hashem said, I have a problem. Shame calls it, called the city Shalem, peace. Avram Avinu calls it when he, when he was on the mountain after that Kedah Yitzchak, he said, Hashem Yireh, Hashem should see. Or Yireh means um, also fear. So, um, which, what are we, what's going to be the name? God says, I'm going to combine them. Yireh Shalem, which means two ideas. Okay, it means divine revelation. God can be seen. And also the awe and the fear of God, which are connected, because when God is visible, we are then naturally inclined to fear him. And, and then Sholem, peace. But what is God just making a combination of two things that are not related to each other? They're very much related. Because in order to have peace in the world, it can only be when we're in a state of submission to God. And that's what the fear is. Yere, when we fear, fear over here is not fear and intimidation fear. It's when we sense the source and, we're, and, we're, and we cancel our own egos to the source. And then we're all plugged in to oneness. And then we're all unified. Then there's real peace in the world. So Jerusalem. So what's the number of peace of Shalem? Is number three. So David Melech, who's the first king 
and he's laying the foundation of Jerusalem, how many years is he king? 33 years. And who becomes king immediately after David HaMelech? Who does he lead, lead into? Then immediately after, after he completes this lesson, 33 takes the lesson, the lesson of, the download of peace into the world. When David HaMelech completed this download of number 33, what happens next? Immediately Shlomo HaMelech is, 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 takes over him. Shlomo is peace. That's why he's called Shlomo. Shlomo David still had to fight. David was the implementer. He's bringing down peace. But the world was not yet accepting. It wasn't yet fully, it didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't yet register. He was, he, he was working towards it. But once David finished, 33 years was over, there was Shalom in the world. Shlomo Melech, which was a, pre, a preview of Mashiach. It was the one time that the world was the closest, besides the giving of the Torah, which was just maybe a half an hour or an hour, I don't know how long it took, and when that was a completely godly display, the one time that the world was living in a pre-Messianic or a, or a like Mashiach state was in the days of King Solomon. The whole world recognized his, his superiority to, all of, all, all, to everyone else. His wisdom was recognized across the world. And everybody knew what he stood for. And the world was all at peace with the Jewish people. And, with, and everybody was seeking divine knowledge. People came from far and from wide. So this was the closest to Mashiach. Went after 33 years. We find the same idea. Now let's go to Lagba Omer. The students of Rabbi Akiva. During the 33-year reign, 33 days, I'm sorry. The 33 days of, um, of Sphiris Omer, the students of Rabbi Akiva didn't get along with each other. Great saints, saintly people, rabbis, didn't get along with each other. Why did they get along with each other? Everybody was opinionated. Each and every one of them believed that their opinion was right. They couldn't tolerate another opinion. And that's because there's a certain lack of attachment to the original cause. See, when you're completely synchronized with Hashem and you surrender to God, then you feel, even though you, God gave you a mind and God wants you to probe the, His Torah with your mind and you come to an understanding in a certain way, but it doesn't, you don't dismiss another understanding. The idea of dismissing and not giving, paying it, like, comes from, let me put it this way. We know there was Beishamai and Beishelel, two groups of great scholars. And Beishamai came to an understanding, this is the law. Beishelel came to understanding, this is the way, the law. You're dealing with God's law, it's not something you can mess around with. And so according to Beishelel, Beishamai is wrong. According to Beishamai, Beishelel is wrong. Yet they respected each other, even though they had different opinions. That means because a singular God, Achta Sabshuta, expresses himself in the multifaceted different ways. That itself is a sign of his infinity. And it had there not been um, different modes of serving Hashem, different ways of interpretation of halacha, had it would not be come down in this multicolored, colorful way, then it would not be revealing of the infinite source. That is, that, is, that, is, that is behind it all. It's dafka in the many different ways of understanding. Yes, there are certain rules of how and why. Today's days we can't do like Beshama. You can't say, well, I like their style. Allah tells us that God's will is, we follow Beis 
But between, when Beishamah and Beishelah themselves were arguing, the Gemara says, Elu ve'elu These and these are both the words of the living God, even though they're opposites, because God can tolerate opposites, fire and water, cold and hot. And therefore, so the reason Beishamah and Beishelah were able to coexist and have a deep respect for each other is because their they, they, as individuals with their minds, were completely surrendered to the simple oneness that's beyond that. They sense that oneness. And therefore, that's the bittal. And that's why they can tolerate an opposite. There was something, obviously, we have no clue, the students of Rabbi Akiva, who they were. They were sublime tzaddikim. But there was something missing in that, in that um, bittal. Uh, and that's why they didn't tolerate each other. After 33 days, since 33 is the number of peace, complete attachment and complete unification between me and my world, as God says, that brings this harmony, this, this ability of tikkun and of shalom and of peace. So again, complete attachment between the creation and the creator brings the peace amongst the students. That's why they stopped dying at that time, because it was corrected. When? After 33 days. Which will also explain to us now for a moment um, now let's leave this for, for, for a little later. Um, now, now I'll, I'll, let, let, let's for a moment um, get into a little bit of a Kabbalistic idea regarding the significance of it's 33, it's a, the number three is the number of peace. Let, let's get a little mystical for a moment. It's gonna add amazing, shed amazing light on this whole thing. What's the secret of being like the students of Rabbi Akiva and not comprehending the unity? And being like Beishamah and Beishilil and yeah, being able to have different, diverse opinions and yet get along with each other. And as I mentioned earlier, that's the way it's going to be when Mashiach comes. It's not going to be one size fits all. We're all going to serve God in multiple different ways. And there's still going to be Ashkenazim and Sephardim and Hasidim and maybe non-Hasidim and, and this and that. There's going to be all the, and this group and that group and Breslov and Lubavitch and Satmer and Bells and each one with their own way of serving God and yet it's going to come together in the most magnificent, beautiful way. The tolerance is going to be, the acceptance is going to be, the harmony is going to reign. What's the secret of that? The secret of that is as follows. There's two names of Hashem. There's a name of God of Elohim, and there's the name of Hashem, which is the name of Yud Kei Vav Kei. Um, Yud Kei Vav Kei is the simple unity of God. God as He is beyond form, beyond definition. Elohim is already Hashem lowering Himself down to become a source for the creation, and thereby God taking on more of a spe specified uh, descriptive um, energy. So, from the name of Elohim, obviously, uh, is where all the hischalkos, what we call hischalkos, definitions come in the creation. When the name of Elohim, now in the name of Elohim, there's many manifestations. When the name of Elohim, Elohim is a concealment on Havaya. So, Elohim is a, it's considered a case. Shemesh umogen Havaya Elohim. Pasuk says, Havaya, Yudke Vavke is like the sun, and Lokim is like the sheath. The sheath covers on the sun. 
the more intense that covering is, the less of the simple light, the simplicity of the infinite supreme source is sensed in the diversity, in the creation, the more rigid the creations become, the more stiff they become, the more locked into their own self they become, and the more separated from God they become, and, and as a result of that, the more separated they become from each other. So the world can become very fragmented when the name of Elohim is very intensified. Again, as the filters become stronger and stronger, the less you feel the oneness, the more you feel the diversity, and the more things become what's called in Hasidus, anafim mispardim. It becomes branches that are separated. Umisham yipared. And from there there is pirud and separation and disconnect. And that leads to eventually, you know, um, a lack of peace and harmony between the creations. The secret is the balance. To keep the diversity, to keep Elohim, you don't want to eradicate Elohim because Elohim creates all the, all, is the source of all the details of creation, but you want a name of Elohim that is fully infused with the power of Havaya, with the power of Yudke Vavke, so that the light is coming through, the oneness is felt. And that can happen on many ways, Kabbalistically. One of them is a, uni a unity between Havaya and Elohim. When you bring Havaya, every mitzvah, for instance, causes a fusion of Havaya and Elohim, a yichud between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah, which is the same idea of this unity. And the oneness is felt in the, in the, in the, uh, in the diversity. And that's called, many places, it's called Hamtakas Hadinim, sweetening of the judgments. Judgments is the rigidity, the concealment, the name of Elohim is very intense. Sweetening of the judgments, because there is a flow of infinite energy, intensification in it, and therefore there is far more of a fluidity in all of creation and a unity. So one manner is, we're going to see, remember this is important, is the unity between Havai and Elohim. Another way of lightening the Elohim is by tweaking Elohim itself, by doing some kind of an adjustment in the name of Elohim. So let's understand how that works. So what do you mean an adjustment in the name of Elohim? So first of all, the diversity that there is in creation, the specifics, the changes that there is in creation is because God creates the world through his speech, through words. And Hashem speaks many words. So like we see in ourselves, a person can have a singular idea, one idea, and the idea is one idea. Then when they take the idea and they, and they have to communicate it, then you chop the idea into a bunch of different, you know, the idea has different parts to it. Even though it's in, in the person's mind, it's one idea, it's all one concept. But if they have to give it over, like this class, for instance, there's so many different parts that have to be given over, so there's like part one, and it has to come into hundreds and maybe thousands of words. Words, letters, letters, every letter is a piece of the concept comes together with words, words form sentences, sentences form paragraphs, paragraphs form chapters, chapters form a book, you have a full concept, a full, a full theory, uh, all there in this, in this right? So God, the same thing. It's one expression, but yet, as it creates a multiple world, it's coming through all the words. So it's the letters, the letters are mainly associated with the name of Elohim. Malchus Peh, the name of Elohim is associated with the attribute of Malchus, which is God's mouth. 
and um, that's where the words come from. The root of all the letters are what makes the letters different are really the five organs of speech. In, in a person's mouth, to speak, you have five different powers in the mouth that speak. Five, uh, because really it's all sound, breath, simple sound. But how does it become b, g, j, h, l? How do it become different sounds? That's happening in, as it's, okay, Hasidus explains it's already, the letters are really there in your soul, but the actual physical expression of those letters to the different sounds happen in the mouth. Where? There are five organs, which is the throat, the ches comes from. There is the palate, t, like tes. There is the tongue. Mm, I, uh, there is the, the lips, bays, mem. There's the teeth. So tongue, palate, teeth, throat, and lips. Five organs of speech. Those five organs of speech, which are the source of all speech, are the five letters of the name of Elohim. Aleph, Lamed, He, Yud, Mem, five letters of speech. That's the source of all speech. It's the source of letters. Again, letters is the source of diversity. The more rigid those letters are, the less, the more energy flows in the letters from Havaya, the more those letters are lost. That you don't sense the word. Sometimes when you hear someone talking, it sounds very wordy. I hope not this class. You're hearing just a lot of words, words, words. Sometimes you feel the energy. You feel the, the power. You feel. So usually if you feel the power and the energy, the concept, the energy, like overtakes the words. You're not even hearing all the different words. You're hearing one concept. When it becomes very wordy, and then, 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 then things are separated. You don't feel that. It's not one. It's all, it's all separated and disconnected. And so it's the story with creation. When the words are felt very much, the word, the word is separated. When the energy flow of Avaya is filling all those words with the simple unity of God, then all of creation is unified. Okay? Idea. So in Sefer Yetzirah, when it speaks about the letters that are creating, it says that there is idea of God exchanging letters. Where let, 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 uh, uh, letters are misgalgalim. They, they flow and they, and they rotate. Because we understand that when God spoke the ten utterances, he didn't speak every detail of detail, but there was a certain system of how the various divine letters go through changes. And the more changes they go through, that results in different, different powers, different energies. The further those letters exchange and change and more and more, the darker the creation gets. The less energy, the more you hear the words. Okay? Idea. So the letters change. Now... Any small change in the letters causes a huge difference in the creation. But the most pivotal change in letters, the most crucial main change in letters, is on the five organs of speech. If there is a change in those letters, that impacts creation the most, because you're not dealing with changing the word, you're dealing changing the source of the word, the five organs of speech themselves, the root of all the letters. That's why the Arizal says that when we need to sweeten the judgments of the world, when it's too intense, when it's too rigid, when there's too much dinim, which means, as we spoke earlier, the name of Elohim is too, 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 uh, too intense, the way it is done, and again, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you this, uh, but the Ariz says this, so, and is through, maybe even earlier, that it's through the 
rotation of the letters of the name of Elohim, the letters of Elohim are rolled backwards. That means every letter is rolled to the previous letter. So imagine like, um, like a combination code on a wheel. So you have numbers. So if you, if, you, if, you have, if you see number two, you roll the two back to the one. Or you see number five, you roll it back to the four. So when you take the letters of the name of Elohim and you roll them back one, there's less Elohim, there's less filter. That's the idea. It's less. You ever go to the eye doctor and they, they, you're looking through various different lenses and he tells you what's better. You're looking at A, B, C, this one or that one. You hear he's clicking something. He's throwing this glass or that glass. Right? I'm just thinking about that. Uh, as, a, as an example, it's just occurring to me. So it's just a slight difference. He's going, boop, this or this. He's flipping the, the glass. And obviously it's because it's a different type of glass and a different filter. And as you're looking at the image you're looking, uh, it will change your vision of it. So the same is also our vision of the world will change based on which letters Hashem is using. If it's Elohim, it's pretty intense, the block. If it's the letters before Elohim, it's less intense, and therefore more flow. So, when you look at the five letters of Elohim, let's roll the letters back. Aleph, you can't roll back, because Aleph is the first letter, so try to roll it back, it gets stuck. Aleph is the first, nowhere to go with Aleph. Lamed, we can roll back. Lamed goes back to a Chaf. Hey goes back to a Dalit. Yud goes back to a Tes. So, okay. And Mem, Mem, we can flip back, but we can't. Because mem is a, in the word Elohim, mem is the final mem. It's two mems. So when you flip the mem back, you get a regular mem. So the ender mem becomes an ordinary mem. So it stays the same. Aleph and mem stay the same. The inside letters of Elohim, they flip, they go back. And what are they? A lamed becomes a chaf, a hey becomes a dalid. And a yud becomes a tes. Together, you have aleph, chaf, dalid, tes, mem, spelled ach, tedam. Probably never heard that, but that's one of God's names. Shem ach, tedam. It's a very good name, because it sweetens the judgments. That's what the Kabbalist says. But in the sweetening of the judgments, you mainly sweeten three judgments, the three middle letters. The two sides didn't, 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 didn't switch. The middle letter switched. To, a, to which letters? To a chaf, a dalet, and a tes. Let's do the gematria. Chaf is 20. Dalet is 4. 24 plus tes. 24 plus 9. 33. So sweetening of the judgments of the name of Elohim is through turning back the letters. Now let's understand the, 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 the richness. Of so now again, we said before that 33 is a number of peace. It allows the creation to feel the creator. When we feel the creator, everything comes together. Now we understand a Kabbalistic idea to do as well. Because how do you make God be felt more in the creation when you lessen the, the, the screen, when you move those letters back? It's not so, it's not so opaque or it's not so... Uh, 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 it goes from, you know, maybe from opaque to trans, translucent at least. Some of the light is coming through. If more light is coming through, there's a greater consciousness of God. So then there is, uh, there is harmony and everybody gets along with each other. That's the idea. So now we can understand the secret of Lagba Omer. That's what it says 
in uh, the Rebbe's father, I believe Yitzhak explains that's what Lagba Omer is, but the concept I saw also in the writings of the Ruzhiner, and I saw it also in the writing of the Bnei Yisachar, saying all this idea of the secret of Gal, 33, is, is the reversal of these osios going back, and that's called mitokadinim, and that's why simply the, the people stop dying, There's, there isn't such judgment in the world, there isn't such judgment in the world, and um, also, the cause of the judgment is because people are not tolerating each other. That's the, the separation. That's all one. But when you have a greater flow, because Lamed Gimel is the number of the, the, the lesser block, more light is coming through, more, more harmony is experienced. The students of Rebbe Kiva are getting along with each other. They stop dying, and so on and so forth. Secret of Lamed Gimel. This will also explain, now we'll understand why a woman's blood, the 33 days after birth, it's okay. She's, it's not defiled. Blood represents gevura, judgment. It's red, color of it. A woman is also malchus, which is the source of creation, and the source where all there's intense judgments. When the judgments get too harsh, that's blood, that's no good. That's why it's associated with ritual impurity, and so on and so forth. But 33 is a mituk in the gvura itself. It's a sweetening in the gvura. It's lifting the name of Elohim up to a higher level so it's not so intense. So, and that's the reason why the blood itself is, it's not that there's no blood. There is blood. But the blood itself is not considered defiled, a, defiled, a, a, a ritual impurity because the dinam are not judgments. They're, they're loosened. It's kind of already like uh, there's a relaxed state in it. It's not, there is no um, tension or, or nervousness. It's, it's, it's relaxed, it's calm. That's why the blood is tar. And that's why we also find that Esther HaMalka, when she was very harsh judgments on the Jewish people, when did she go in to meet the king, to go pray, to go in to, uh, to evoke mercy by God? When did she? On the 33rd day. Because on the 33rd day, the judgments are, are, mellow, are mellowed. That's the idea. Mellowing out of everything. Number 33. So when we're in a world where we need healing, and when the world is experiencing seeming to be what? A uh, situation. And you see the situation is causing, first of all, there's a plague. In addition to that, it's causing such polarization. Everybody on their own. No one can tolerate the other. And, and, and we, we, we know what's going on. More than ever in the year three, and, and it's the af, which comes from the disconnect, as we spoke earlier. So the reconnecting of it is number 33. And that's why it could be the secret that this year flips. Because really, it's a year of 33. Three, 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 three. It's an awesome year. The threes are lining up on every level. And for that reason, it sweetens the judgments. Now we'll also understand, perhaps, again, some of these are my own thoughts, but could be, we'll also understand why the word 33 also spells the word gal. Gal means to reveal. Like we say, gal enai, reveal my eye. Reveal. Because again, when the filters are less, there's more revelation. 
And that is why on Lagba Omer, in addition to the students of Rabbi Akiva stopping to die, who was one of those students who survived and didn't, was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And what does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai do? He reveals the hidden part of the Torah. And what is the revelation of hidden part of the Torah? The name of Elohim is the garment, is only the revealed part of the Torah, it's the outside. The hidden part of the Torah is the inner, the soul of Torah, it's the Havaya, it's the Yudke Vavke. And generally we know for generations you couldn't reveal it, it had to be hidden. But Rav Shemim Yochai reveals there. Because again, the name 33 is weakening the filters, eliminating the filters, not eliminating it completely, but um, 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 softening it and, 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 and thinning it out so that the light comes through. So the great Rav Shemim Yochai on Lagba Omer is the day that he passes away and is the day of the greatest revelation of secrets of the Torah. But where does he live? Where did Rav Shemim Yochai live? And where is he celebrated, Lag Bomer? On the Mount Miron, which is where? In the Galil. Every part of Israel has deep godly, every part of, everything in the world has godly significance. Everything is a divine code. Can you imagine a, a whole section of the land of Israel that has a special energy. If it's called the Galil, what is the Galil? Gimel, Lamed, Lamed. It has a Yud there too. But Gimel, Lamed, and Lamed. It's got, Gimel is three, Lamed is 30. All the numbers of three. Three of the regular and three in the tens. And Galil has got two times the, uh, Lamed. But it's full of number three. Three, three, three. So it's very possible to say that the energy in the Galil is this energy of Lamed, Gimel is this uh, mituk, this, the sweetening of the name of Elohim, which is over there. And that's where they celebrate Lag Bomer. And I will understand why when the Gemara says, Doresh Ahi, when it introduces this whole concept of number three, what does the Gemara say? It doesn't call him by a name. What does the Gemara say? Doresh Ahi Gililoi, the Galilai, what came his name? Because that's the whole teaching, is that he came from the Galil. That's why he had this teaching of number three, because number three is associated with the Galil. And that's why we find that Panimia Satori, the revealed part of the Torah, comes from the Galil, not only from Rav Shemim Yochai, but Holy Arizal, who gives us the secret of Achtadam, of the 33. It's from the Ari. And where does he live? In Tzvas, also in the Galil. So it's pretty cool. Now we know an interesting rule that Purim always comes out the same day of the week like Lag Bomer. It's a rule. It's called Peleg. Pei Lamed Gimel. Um, Pei is Purim and Lamed Gimel is Lag Bomer. Whenever Purim will be, you'll know Lag Bomer. So this year Purim comes out on Thursday night, Friday. Lagba Omer is, is also going to be Thursday night, Friday. So you see that Purim has a deep connection to Lagba Omer. What's the connection? So let's see where we have number three in Purim. So first of all, I showed you how Esther goes on the 33rd day. But it's really, really fantastic. And especially this year. As we're going to see in a moment, it's, it's, it's crazy. We're, we're this year Purim. So first of all, we know that Purim is connected to the Torah. To, to Matan Torah. And Torah is number three. 
So where do we find that Torah Purim is being connected to the Torah? Because the sages tell us that when we received the Torah by Har Sinai, it was only a partial acceptance. It was only a preliminary acceptance. It wasn't complete. Because God held a mountain over our head. He was threatening us. So if we had no choice. And okay, the Altar Rebbe explains, he threatened us with love. He overwhelmed us with love. But it's still, it was still a coerced, a coercion. Uh, in, it took us uh, close to a thousand years till the story of Purim when we really accepted the Torah. Since Purim is the complete acceptance of the Torah, so it's connected to Torah. So and Torah is number three. We got to see Purim also has number three. And since the, the secret of number three is the illumination of the name of Elohim, the, the sweetening of the name of Elohim, the expansion of the, the constriction is expanded, so we find that in Purim as well, but in a little bit of a different way than, in, than we spoke about like Omer, but the same theme, the same idea. And that is as follows. Um, we all know that the essence of Purim, the, the, the unique thing of Purim, is that it was an incredible miracle, but the miracle was very much submerged in a natural setting. It wasn't like the splitting of the sea or the miracles of Pesach where, you know, God just broke nature. Hashem was orchestrating a whole series of events in a way that even though it was all within a natural set, a king is, you know, is, is, is married, he first loves his wife, then he gets into a fight with her and he kills her and then he... And then he makes a party, he gets drunk, and then he has a new wife, and he makes a beauty contest, and he finds Esther, and then there was an assassination attempt, and then Esther happens to be the cousin of Mordechai, and, or the nephew of Mordechai, whatever, the whole story. And then she goes to come to the king. It's, everything is kind of a, a, uh, a romantic story taking place in the palace. But if you just take a look a little bit, you can see that all this is Hashem doing. In order to prepare a salvation for the Jewish people. It's called the neis hamalubish b'teva. It's the neis that is enclosed in teva. Now let's take a look at these two forces. Teva is nature. Nature is, we spoke earlier about oneness and diversity. Nature is diversity. And the oneness is God, right? singular being. Miracle is, God gets involved. It's whatever he wants. You see, in a miracle, it's not... You know, it's, it's not this happened or that happened. The idea of a miracle is that God, God is having it his way. Whatever God wants, well, if you need his blood to turn into, into, into water, turn into blood. You need the frogs to come out everywhere. You need the water to become, uh, water to split, fire and water to get together. Whatever it is, it's what God wants. So in, 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 in a miracle, it sends the unity of Hashem. In nature, is all these different. Now, Nature in Hebrew is the word teva. Now the word ha-teva is gematria 86, the same numeric value as the name of Elohim. So Elohim is the source of nature. So nature stems from the name of Elohim. Miracles come from the name of yud Vavke. That's why when we went out of Egypt, what does, what does the pastor keep on repeating? You all know that I am Hashem. God displayed His power. Transcendental power, open miracles. What is Purim? Purim is a combination, a fusion, that even in Elohim, Havaya can manifest. 
Havaya is coming. In other words, same idea like we spoke before. The filter of Elohim is not so rigid. Havaya is coming through. But a little different than we spoke before. Not through tweaking Elohim and rolling the letters back. But Elohim maybe being remaining in its place. But Havaya coming down and filling Elohim with powerful light. And that's the miracle. Now we see that, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, the Rebbe's father, says in the name Purim. He says, Purim is, let's see, the gematria of the word Purim. Purim is, starts with a pay, is 80, plus a vav, so it's 86. That's a, you, got, you get already the word nature in there, hateva, in, in the first two letters of Purim. You're 86. Then you have Reish Yud Mem. Reish Yud Mem is 240, 250. 240, 250 plus 86, 336. So Purim, the gematria of Purim is 336. So watch this amazing thing. He says... Elohim is Gematria 86. He says there are three primary, there are three, three in Yanam of name Elohim. You can connect it to the three letters of Elohim before that we, that we switched. The, the Lamed He Yud, but he doesn't say that. He's saying that there's three elements of the name Elohim that represent judgments. Regular Elohim, which is 86, and then Elohim ba'acharayim and Elohim b'miloi. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but he says there's three shemos of Elohim, and those three shemos of Elohim represent what's called mochen dekatnos, constricted mochen. It's when constricted mochen means when 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 I have a concept and I can't tolerate that you think different than me. That means constricted mochen. When we're stuck in our own little, in our own minds, even if, we're, even if we have really good ideas, but if we can't tolerate that other people have a different opinion than us and see the world differently, that's called stuck. That's the moich and the katnas. And there's three elokims related to the word garon. In Mitzrayim, it says Egypt, which means constriction, um, is associated with the neck. That's why paro is the letters ha'oref, the neck, the, the, the throat, the neck. So if you take 86 times 3, you get the word, the gematria of the word garon. That's uh, 250, I think 259. 259 is 3 times 86, Elohim 3. These are represent the three pipes, the three ministers of Pharaoh, which are associated with the three pipes that are in the neck, in the throat. Three Elohims. In order, and that's where all the, all the harsh decrees come from. Things get really, really bad. What's the miracle? The miracle is that you bring in the lights of Havaya, Yudke Vavke, three times Havaya into Elohim. So 20, I don't know, it's a shame I didn't have my, uh, my phone with me so I could do the math over here. I'm not good with math, even though I like it, but I'm not good with it. 26 times three is seven, that I do, okay. 26 times three is 78. Three times Havaya, 26. 78 plus 259. If I'm right, yeah. 78 times 259 equals three Purim. What did we say earlier? 333, Shin Lamed Vav. Yeah, 333. 
Let me get my phone just to, I'm gonna make sure. Give me a second. We're almost done. Um, here we go. 86 times 3 is 258. I'm sorry, not 259. Goron is with the colo. It's 258 plus um, 78 equals 336. Yeah. So Purim, which Purim is what? The miracle being clothed in nature is three times Yudke Vavke going into the three times Elohim. In other words, the expansion of the name of Elohim. The exact same idea that we're talking about all earlier, is, which is the idea of the number 33. And that is the reason why you find that by Esther, when she begins the process of changing it all, she goes to see the king, it's on the 33rd day. Because again, that's the whole idea over here, it's the expansion. But you also find this idea of number three in Purim, this is from the Rebbe's father, um, he says is associated, you find, the beginning of the miracle happened with Mordechai when he sees three children coming out. Haman sees Mordechai and uh, he's, you know, he knows already the decree was happened and Mordechai knows about it. And he was hoping to watch Mordechai looking all all terrified and scared. Meanwhile, he watches Mordechai run across and he sees three children coming from yeshiva, from school, school children. And he asked them, what did you learn today? And the three children, each one referred, told him a pasuk, in which it says, don't be afraid. They made all kinds of decrees. It's not gonna happen. It's all gonna be, uh, it's all gonna be also connected to our times. Don't be afraid of the Hamans. Don't be, it's all gonna turn out good. So he says, Three children, three, first of all, three, right? Number three, three children. These are the three names of Elohim, because Elohim is called small, katna samoch, small. But they're coming out of the school, what do you go to school? To expand your mind, to learn. And you learn psukim. Torah is moichen de gadlos, Torah is expansive teaching. So when the three children are giving their three psukim, it's the beginning of Purim. It's the unification of the name of Elohim, which is small, constricted mind, opening up to the expansive mind of Havaya, Havaya merging down, and that's Purim. It's the unification of the Moich and the Godless in the three children, saying three psukim. What does Esther do when she's ready to go to the king? She tells the Jewish people to fast three days and three nights. Number three again. Three and day and night. Night is associated with the name of Elohim. Day is associated with Havaya. When she says three days and three nights, she's fusing night and day together three times to make the tikkun in the three times of Elohim by bringing in the Moich and the Gadlos, the Havaya, into Elohim. Then the Talmud says to us, Dawat, that one time on a Purim meal, Reb Zera 
Rabbah, who was a great sage, invited Reb Zeira over to the meal, and they got a little tipsy, and Reb Rabbah took a knife, and he slaughtered Reb Zeira. That's what the Gemara says, he shechted him. Come, Rabbah Reb Zeira. Then he saw that he made a mess over here, it's no good. <laughs> he resurrected him, he prayed, and he, he got him back alive, okay? Don't drink and uh, have Purim parties unless you know the trick. Um, anyways, he brought him back to life. The next year, he invited him again, come over again. And Rabzair said, I think I'll take a pass this time. That's what the Gemara says. But the, the Rebbe's, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father explains what's the idea. Zera means small. It's the name Elohim. Zera means Zeira, small. And actually the Gemara says he was called Zeira. He was a tiny person. He was very short. Rabba means Rav, means big. So the whole Purim story is the fusion of big and small. And by the way, um, one of the things that are mentioned in the Megillah again and again is a certain equality from big and small. When Achashverosh makes a party, he says everybody should come, Limigadol uh, katan from the big to the small. And then later when he makes a decree, um, that everybody should listen to their, all women should listen to their, to their husbands. He uses again the term over there, from big to small. Because the whole miracle of Purim is the fusion of the big name of God, the infinite. It's the fusion of God, the Ain Sof, the Gado, and the Kato. Haman doesn't like that. Haman says, He doesn't like the, okay, that's getting a lot into it. I believe Yitzhak says a fascinating idea. But uh, going back, Rabbah, Reb Zeira, Rabbah Shechts Reb Zeira. What's the idea? And what do you shecht, he says? You shecht by the throat. And the shechting want, he wanted to lift Reb Zeira up from his constricted mind into the expansive mind. And where do you shecht? At the throat. The throat is where the three pipes are. Garon, the three names of Elohim. The expansion of the name Elohim, the opening it up. So this is the, this is awesome. So, Purim, now we understand why Purim and Lagba Omer, three threes, why they're on the same, um, on the same, uh, connected to each other. We'll also now understand what's so special about this year. Because this year, as we say, if the whole year is a year of three, 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 three. Purim is part of the giving of the Torah. And this year, Shavuos is going to be 3,333 years. And Pesach, it's starting on Pesach. It's going to be actually we're going to hit 3,333 from when we went out of Egypt. Since Purim is the one of a major event of accepting the Torah, and since the whole idea of 3333 is that the world is finally fully um, absorbing the Torah and the peace that the Torah brings and the unification and the harmony with God. So what happens this year? As the month of Adar is coming in already, this Shabbos, the threes are coming out again. This Shabbos, it, Shabbos comes out on, on it's, it's going to be a triple Shabbos. We're going to take out three Torahs this Shabbos. Very rare. Three separate Torahs. One of them we're going to read Parshas um, uh, Mishpatim. The other one we're going to read Parshas Shkol. And we're going to read Rosh Chodesh. Three separate Torahs. Then Purim comes out when? On a Friday. And we know that in Israel, when Purim comes out on a Friday, it's called a triple Purim. Parim Mishulish, a triple Purim. Three, three, three. Why is it three? Because... 
uh, on Friday you can't do some of the mitzvah. I'm sorry, when we when we have Friday in Israel, it comes out in, in cities that are walled. The Purim is the next day, on the 15th, not on the 14th. So then Purim would be Shabbos. But since on Shabbos you can't do many of the mitzvahs of Purim, you can't read the Megillah because the sages were afraid you would carry the Megillah and you can't give gifts to the, you can't give the money to the poor. So because of that, they divided it. Friday gets one part of the mitzvah, Shabbos the other, and then Sunday. Now, obviously there's a deep secret over here because the sages could have just taken another day and substituted it. Why do they make three? And the answer is it's all related to number three. Purim is associated with number three. The whole Indian of Purim is three. Usually it doesn't come out, but this year, in the year 333, we have in Purim too. It's a triple Purim. So uh, this fellow from, uh, who was listening to my classes, and, and I, I forgot his name, you should forgive me, Lewis. Lewis is his last name. What's his first name? I'm going to have to, I, I should have looked it up before the class. I forgot right now. I'm just also tired. Aaron Lewis could be Aaron. Well, one is what's his, no, Aaron is the younger brother. No, I forgot. Anyways, I know he's going to listen to this share, but I'm sorry. I'm going to. Uh, in any case, so he sent me a few weeks ago. When I was talking about the threes. He said, "Take a look. Pesach comes out this year in the in the in the first day Pesach or the night, the evening of February 20. I'm sorry, March 27th." It's Pesach. Now it's cool, he said, because March is the third month. 27, how do you get the number 27? Three times three is nine, times three is 27. March 27th is 333. Now you'll say, well, it's a secular calendar. Well, that's the whole idea of Mashiach. Mashiach is that God permeates the world. Every aspect of the world is unified with this truth. Every part of the world is unified with the truth. So if it comes out, if it's true, it's going to come out on the secular calendar as well. Three, three, three on Pesach. On the three, it's crazy. And what he didn't tell me, and I'm going to add to it, it's in the year 2021. What's two one? Two and one is again three. So it's really, really exciting. And all of this, there's another thing I was going to add, but I'm getting too tired. All about the. Comp chapter 120 in Tehillim, which we're going to start saying for the Rebbe this year. But with the Rebbe, it's, okay, it's, it's too much. I'm going to leave that for Hashem another time. But uh, this is it. All the, as I mentioned earlier, all the arrows are pointing for, oh yeah, I want to finish with one idea. This, yeah, this I have to add to this. Now, I found this whole idea of 33, I mentioned to you already in an earlier class, I found the source for it. I thought it was just, you know, this Yassel told me and it was exciting. And the Rebbe mentions in Tavshem Memches in um, 1988 on Zion Adar. The Rebbe gives a whole talk, it's printed in this book, where he says, we have to. Make a commotion. I felt so good because I'm actually this is my commotion that I'm making and I didn't even know I'm supposed to. He said, we have to make a commotion because it's 3,300 years. It's, it was before Pesach then and it's going to be 3,300 years from when we went out of Egypt. And, and that's so significant. And there it says, because the number 33 is an incredible number. And he says, look in Hasidus and look in his father's letters, the letters that I was repeating a lot of the ideas. The Rebbe there points to it. And he, and he, but he says the significance of, of 3,300 3, 3, 
is that it's 100 times 33. And he says, number 100 is special, and number 33 is special. And when they come together, 100 times 33. So what's the Chiddush of this year based on that? This year, it's 101 times 33. So why is that so special? You see, if every 33 is in another increment, 33 years, is an increment, another delivery, another dosage of peace in the world, like we find, you know, like Baomer, 33 days, and there was peace afterwards. It, uh, um, um, David HaMelech rules in Jerusalem 33 years, and afterwards Shlomo was here. There's peace afterwards. So if every section of 33 is a lesson in peace, so let's take 33 years, 100 times 33 years since the Torah was in the world, since the Torah is three, is 100 lessons of peace in the world. Now we know when we want to retain something, how many times do you have to study it? So the, the sages say that they used to study something 100 times in order to really retain it. And with 100 times, it's enough to retain it. But the Gemara says that it's not considered... What, you want to know the difference between someone who serves God and someone who doesn't serve God? Someone who serves God, someone who doesn't serve God, it learns 100 times because he's following his nature. The Alter Rebbe explains because he's following his nature. It's natural to learn 100 times because that's what you need to learn. But the one who learns 101 times, that goes beyond the nature. You're pushing the ammo beyond your nature. And then it's called, and what is it called? It's called Oved Elohim. Now that fits right into everything we've been talking about. Elohim is teva, your nature. Oved Elohim means to work your nature out, to, 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 to bend it and refine it and, and purify it to the point that it's not blocking anymore. That Elohim is not blocking on Avaya. That it's allowing Avaya to come from the Alter Rebbe says, It's like you take an animal hide and you bend it, bend it, bend it until it becomes a soft um, 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 piece of leather that it can express instead of cover. Like a fine garment made of leather can express the, a person's body as opposed to cover. So the world is a garment for God, but when it's thick and nature is not reflecting the beyond nature that's beyond it. A hundred times is good, but a hundred and one time is with a lesson of 33 to a point where it, the name of Elohim is not blocking anymore, which we said before is the whole idea of 33 is the refinement of the name of Elohim, the elevation of the name of Elohim. So now that it's 3,333 years, without a shadow of a doubt, we're ready for the final piece to, to kick in, for the gula to happen. May we merit that we don't have to say any more Taurus and Ramazim and so on and so forth, but we can actually see the Geula Shalema completely taken from a Yad. Mamish, 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 mamish. May we see it now. Thank you.